Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben Arnott, and I'd like to welcome you to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, Australia's first barbecue podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it around to spread the love. In this episode, I'm chatting with Dan Midgley from BSG Smokers. BSG Smokers are located in Ipswich, Queensland, and turn out some of the sexiest, most reliable, and most fuel-efficient smokers that you're ever going to see. Dan hand-builds his smokers, and his range includes offsets, trailer-mounted offsets, vertical water smokers, completely custom jobs, and he tells me there are some secret projects currently in development to be released next year, which are set to change the face of the competition barbecue scene. As well as building some damn sexy smokers, Dan is also an award-winning barbecue competitor, which sets him apart from a lot of other manufacturers. Dan partners with Josh Lawson, owner of Boulevard Restaurant in Springfield, southwest of Brisbane. Together, they picked up Grand Champion at the 2015 Barbecue and Bluegrass Festival in Bangalore. Check it out. This is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? All righty. Thank you for joining me in the confessional today, Dan. The first thing I have to ask you is, what was the last thing that you barbecued? Uh, it was leg of lamb, mate. Did a little bit of uh, pulled lamb in the weather. You pulled a leg of lamb. How'd that go? Yeah, it was good. Really good. Nice and tender and juicy, so it was, um, worked out really well. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, um, I've heard that, uh, that legs are often a bit more difficult to to use for pulling than shoulders. What what made you go for the uh, the leg over the shoulder? Oh, mate, just I was up at the local um, poles up the road and it was just there. So I grabbed it, thought I'd have a go and see how it is. There's a lot of um, like grisly bits and stuff in there that obviously uh, aren't real good. But um, apart from that, no, it went pretty good. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Yeah. I heard you said that you did that on a Weber. Is that your... Yes. Your little go-to weekender? Um, see, I live in a, a unit blocks, so uh, I can't have any of the smokers up at my place, unfortunately. Um, a few of the neighbours and managers don't take too kindly to the uh, to the smoke blazing around in the uh, complex, so unfortunately I'm stuck to uh, using the weather. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's a fantastic little little uh, smoker. Well, yeah. Little grill. It's just a little bit smaller than, say, a double axle trailer mounted smoker sitting. In the <laughs> that, that's right, mate. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, while so many of us are getting deeper and deeper into cooking barbecue, you've kind of gone the other way and decided to build barbecues. Could you tell us the story of how BSG Smokers came about? Yeah, mate. Well, a couple of years ago, uh, my dad and I, my brother, went to a low and slow class that Josh Lawson was doing at his restaurant at Boulevard there. And I'd been smoking a few bits and pieces uh, here and there like for years prior to doing this but never really done anything real serious or anything like that. So we went to this barbecue class and walked in there and as soon as you walked into where Josh was doing the class, he's had this big offset just sort of sitting there right in front of everyone that he's doing the class on. I've never even seen or heard of an offset style smoker before. But as soon as I've seen it, I wanted one. So that was that was pretty much it there. Um, as soon as the class is finished, I uh, had a bit of a look at his and sort of had a chat to him and he gave me the rundown and how it works and all that sort of stuff. And as soon as I got home, straight on the internet and started doing some research on 
on uh, putting my first one together. So yeah, that's how it sort of first started for me. Oh, fantastic! And was that the uh, the poolside hark? No, he. Uh, it was a Yoda Wichita, which he had there, just a twenty inch. Oh, right. Okay. I must be confusing that with somewhere else. All right. Well, you you started yeah. to um, to talk about getting on the internet and doing some research, which leads very nicely into my next question. Uh, what what R and D did you do in designing your smoker range? Oh, mate. Massive amount of R and D goes into into doing it. Hey, um, I think people underestimate just how much uh, research and stuff is involved in you know coming up with like a smoker that works really well and looks really great as well. Um, you know, there's all different sort of things that you've got to look into the placement of the firebox, size of the firebox, uh, the length of your stack, yeah, your intake, everything sort of plays parts and and all that sort of stuff. So. Um. Yeah. All righty. Interesting. Um. So hmm. I I do have one question I've been dying to ask. Um. You quote the weight of your smokers in kilos, but the size in inches. Why is that? Well, I'm a fitter by trade. I worked at the railways for 14 years, and when I first started as a young, uh, I was lucky enough to be put with some of the older blokes that are in there, and beard as they may, they all worked in Imperial. Um, and I had no choice but to learn Imperial. So that's where all that sort of comes from. It's old habits die hard, I guess. Um, like even to this day, I still sort of work in, in feet and inches, as confusing as it is to a lot of people. I learned very quickly after starting DSG that <laughs> when ordering materials, no one had any idea what I was talking about when I was trying to order stuff. So back to the old metric system. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my grandfather was a builder and my father was an industrial arts teacher. And so um, I've, I've had to learn metric and imperial as well. But it's actually come in really handy because I ended up marrying an American girl. So I can actually, ah, there you go. I can actually talk <laughs> about stuff and she knows what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> It's all come good. Oh, awesome. And what about your personal history with barbecue? What's your, your earliest barbecue memory? Um, my earliest barbecue memory would have been uh, back at home. Dad, years ago, built this old brick barbecue, um, had the massive uh, cast iron plate on top, and that was pretty much the start that I can remember with barbecue per se, like where you start the fire in underneath and you <laughs> wait an hour until it's hot enough and then throw your food on and a lot of the times ends up burnt because you've had too many beers and there's a lot of uh, too much fire cranking in under there. But, yeah, that was the that was my first sort of earliest memory of barbecue, so to speak. I think that must be a bit of a staple of our Aussie culture because just about everyone I've talked to in, in these interviews have said exactly the same thing, that their first barbecue memory was Dad's brick pit in the backyard. <laughs> oh, mate, massively everywhere. Back back when I was a young fella, um, all of my parents' friends, every sort of house that we used to go to for a barbecue was that sort of sort of barbecue. It wasn't until a little bit later down the track that people started buying um, gas burners and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's where it, that's as far back as I can sort of remember as far as barbecue is concerned. 
I was actually out doing some yard work the other day and I just happened to look over the fence and I saw that the neighbour actually still has one of those brick pits like from the 80s. <laughs> it's, it, it's sort of leaning on about a 15-degree angle to one side. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to go knock on the door and see if I can take some photos of it and uh, put them on the oh. website for, for nostalgia. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. So everyone I speak to about real barbecue has a kind of origin story with it. What was your introduction to Low and Slow? Um, well, it sort of goes back to just after high school for me, really. Um, one of my mates, Paul, uh, every year at his birthday, we would um, go and buy 20 kilos of pork ribs and we'd smoke them up and we'd go over to Stradbroke Island and just have a weekend over at the island. And... Um, how it sort of started. Before this, I'd never even known anything about low and slow. I'd never even heard of it. I'd never eaten it. And so I've gone around to Paul's place and he sort of asked me to give him a hand cooking up these ribs. First time I tried it, it was like, oh, my God, what have we been doing? Like, how do I not know about this? This is like the best thing ever. And he just had this this old El Cheapo um, Brinkman uh, kettle-style bullet thing, and we used to load that thing up. <laughs> like the most grotesque barbecue you've ever seen. There was there was just ribs on top of ribs. There was no no real type of like cooking or method there. We were just stacking stuff on like we, as far as we're concerned, the more we could fit in, the more we could smoke. Um, and that's how we sort of started. Um, and from there, it just sort of sort of developed. Uh, the next year it was like, oh, if more people are coming. Um, if we if we build a bigger smoker, we can fit more ribs in. So then I went out and built a, a UDS smoker. And again, knowing nothing about UDS is like I just took like the idea from the Brinkman, which was just a little tiny little R2D2 looking thing. And I thought, well, get a 44 gallon drum. And this thing that I made was just had a couple of Rio bars just smashed through the top, um, a couple of holes drilled in the top so the smoke can get out. And as far as intake, I turned it upside down and I drilled probably 50 holes in the bottom of this bloody 44, looked like Swiss cheese. Uh, and we just sat it on some bricks and we were just lighting the fire and having some stuff in the bottom going like that. And slowly that sort of progressed. The next year I made a better one and a better one and a better one. And, yeah, it sort of all progressed. And leading up to um, the time where we went to Josh's restaurant um, and we seen the offset and I thought, oh, mate, I'm going to have a go at building one of these. This is awesome. And, yeah, that was sort of how it all how it all came about. Oh, Paulie's rib day out. Very nice. That's hilarious. How'd you go controlling the air intake on that first? Oh, mate, there was no air control. <laughs> that was it. It was just, we're going to put a fire in there and we're just going to let it burn, throw some hickory wood chunks in there. And that was it. That's how grotesque our style of cooking was. We, like we said, as far as we're concerned, it was just the more ribs we can fit in, the more people we could feed. So there was no real method to our cooking back then. It kind of but it always seemed to work out pretty well. Like it, they always come out good and no one ever complained. So had a good time. Sounds good to me, mate. <laughs> it actually sounds a bit like you guys just sort of set about building a volcano in the backyard and with them just like. Oh, mate, it, it wasn't far from it. To the volcano. 
Uh, yes, we learned a few times burning lawns, marking the concrete, a few things. So, but yeah, no, it was, um, that's how it all came about for me. Well, that's as far back as I can sort of remember is, uh, as far as low and slow is concerned anyway. But it was always sort of beef, uh, sorry, pork ribs. That's, that's all we ever did really back then. And could you actually get, uh, you know, some good thick pork ribs back then or were, or were you uh, no, doing your no. best for shiners? This was oh, yeah. This is probably this is probably about twelve years ago now that we were doing this, um, and they were just all shiners. You couldn't get if you were getting any sort of meat on there, you were lucky. Like we were going down to the butcher, and we had the local butcher, and it was before low and slow sort of got popular. So ribs they were reasonably cheap. Like we were paying probably twelve dollars a kilo, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they were shiners, but we didn't, we knew nothing else. Like we didn't know what a good rib was like or anything like that. So to us, they were good ribs. So yeah. Yeah. We're a bit spoiled now, aren't we? Oh, massively. Unfortunately, the, uh, the price of ribs is, you know, gone through the roof. So. There's uh, not as many 20-kilo <laughs> rib cookups like what we used to have. No, I'll bet. I'll bet. Um, they say that every day you can barbecue is a good day. Have you ever had a bad day with barbecue? Oh, mate, look, oh, I wouldn't say that there was too many bad days, the odd burn here or there. Um, the only time that I can sort of really think back is after I'd built my first prototype um, vertical water smoker uh, and got the family around, got some friends around, said, oh, I can have a big cook-up, come around. And, of course, I grossly underestimated um, timing. This is my first probably sort of real big cook-up that I'd done in there. And, of course, I loaded it up. I had six different types of proteins in there, um, all different sorts of meat. Thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. Of course, everything was cooking all over the shop. Some things was coming out a couple of hours too early because they were finished. Then I was trying to rest stuff in the esky. My esky wasn't big enough. I was running out of room, stacking things on top of each other. And let's just say it was a it was pretty late before everyone ate that night. So that's probably my um, only real bad experience, I would say. But at the end of the day, it was still all delicious. So is it really bad experience? I don't know, but. Yeah, that's probably it, mate. Oh, I think we've all done something like that. <laughs> it's, uh, that's that's um, me virtually every other time I try and cook. I am getting better, though. I did learn my lesson after I um, after I was unable to feed a pregnant lady until about midnight. Oh, you weren't real popular that night, I'd imagine? No. No, no, no. <laughs> no that did not go down very well at all. You're listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott. All right, again, I brought you here today to talk about specifically offset smokers, um, although I, I, I do know that you do manufacture a variety of different smokers. So as a manufacturer of offset smokers, my first question has to be, what makes an offset smoker better than other types of smokers? What are some of the advantages? Um, oh, well, for starters, I think the, the big one that you're going to be looking at is tuning plates. Tuning plates inside of an offset smoker, um, 
you can redirect where you want the flow to go. So straight away, you're in my opinion, you're at you're at an advantage straight away. Um, so you can have you can have a hot zone if you want it. You can have a cool zone if you want it. Um, you know you can you can put those tuning plates out so you can be even across the pit. Um, you know, so straight away, I think that's just a massive uh, advantage straight away. Um, so that's that's the main thing I think that you're looking at between the offsets and the reverse flows. So um, you know, apart from the stack being on the other end and the uh, the reverse flow not having the tuning plates, so to speak. So I think that's that's the, definitely a, a big factor. Okay, so just to clarify, um, a, a tuning plate is like a sheet of metal that you move backwards and forwards across the lower part of the pit. Yes. So down inside um, the cook chamber, underneath the the bottom uh, cook rack, you'll have a series of tuning plates. Each each manufacturer is going to have uh, a different amount, a different width, um, a different thickness. But I'm, you're generally going to find the majority of these tuning plates are going to be six mil um, plate. Um, so you know they're going to hold good heat retention straight away with the, the thickness of the plate. Uh, and yeah, they get, they just run in underneath your cook rack. So you can move them wherever you need to be. You can, you can add more. Um, you can take some out, you know, depending on how you want your setup and, and where you want that, that direction of flow to go, um, is how you're going to set up the tuning place. Don't get me wrong. It's, they can be a little bit overwhelming at first. Um, a lot of people just say, Oh, geez, I don't really know what to do with these tuning plates. And, and, and it's a, it's a practice thing. Uh, the more you cook, the more you play around these things, the more comfortable you're going to get, uh, and ultimately better results you're going to get, um, with your food. So it's, it's all a practice game. The more you practice, the better you're going to get. Right. Definitely. So is the idea to put a tuning plate directly under a piece of meat to, um, like standardize the, the radiating heat underneath the piece of meat or, do you want to put a, a tuning plate on either side of the piece of meat and so it forces all the hot air straight up underneath the, the, the piece of meat? You're going to want the tuning plates directly under the meat. Like like I said, depending on how you want it set up for how you want the flow to go, if you want an even heat, I find that um, if you space starting as close to the deflection plate inside the tuning box as possible, have either no gap or a very tiny gap, maybe – quarter inch or something like that. Say the, the thickness of your pinky finger, say, and then the next the next gap along, you go just double that width and then the next one double it, double it and double it. And that's generally um, – you're generally going to get somewhere in the ballpark of it being pretty close to have being even on end-to-end or somewhat. And like I said, you, you know, you're going to have to play around with these things and um, you'll, you'll pick up on how it all sort of works. But, yeah, as far as the meat question – if you've got like a brisket or something like that, you want those tuning plates to be directly under it because the uh, radiant heat coming off those is also going to add to um, helping the cooking process. Okay, so the the heat will radiate more evenly through the through the uh, tuning plate. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Um, okay, so one benchmark that manufacturers often quote is the thickness of their metal. Why is thicker better? <laughs> Um, mate, it just comes back to that heat retention again. Uh, you'll find now that 
nearly all the manufacturers in Australia are using six mil plate. It's it, it's a standard now um, across the board. Uh, no one's. I don't know of anyone really using anything thinner than six mil. Um, but yeah, it just comes back to heat retention. Of course, if you go thicker, um, the heat retention is going to be thicker, like better again. But in my opinion, it's it's overkill. You don't need to go any thicker than six mil. It's it's standard. It's what everyone's doing, and it works well. Um, you also got to take into consideration is if you go thicker play again, you know the weight of your pit overall is it can be getting well up there. So six mil plate on one of the my BSG offset burners is about somewhere in the ballpark of about 360 kilos. So if you're going to be going up to oh, eight or 10 mil plate, you know, you're really going to start getting up there with weight. And then you've got to think about if you are going to competitions or something like that, moving these offsets around and these, the big offsets, it can be a bit of a pain. So yeah, six mil plates, the, the standard. And I don't think that it needs to be any thicker, but I wouldn't go any thinner. In my opinion. Okie dokie. So a six mil offset, for example, is going to have a lot better heat retention than like a, a Weber Smoky Mountain or a Pro Q or something. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. Although with, with the Pro Qs, they also, the Pro Qs and the Webers and the kettles and all that sort of stuff and the, the cabinet smokers, they'll work on a different principle. So the thickness of the metal, it's, um, it's probably not as important, I don't think. Oh, okay. Interesting. Is that because the uh, because it's a vertical style rather than a horizontal? Yeah, because you just got that heat from underneath, and it's coming straight up with with um, your cabinets and your your kettles and bullets and all those sort of things. Recovery times are very quick, um, you know, because you've got that heat coming straight up. Uh, but with your your offsets, you know, you open the door, you close it. It's going to take a lot longer than than say those other forms of cooking to to get back up. I'm not saying that it's going to take ages, but it's it is going to be not as quick. Um, so when it comes to those other forms of cookers, I personally don't think that um, the metal thickness is is as important. Oh, interesting. As All right. Yeah. Um, for those that are new to smokers, an offset smoker is called an offset smoker as the fire is held in a separate chamber to the cooking chamber as opposed to a vertical smoker or kettle-style barbecue. Are there any special skills that people need to know to properly manage the fire in an offset if they're moving from, say, a kettle to an offset? Uh, mate, look, I don't think that you need any sort of special um, skills per se. Um I know I keep coming back to it, but it, it really is just practice. The more you practice, um, the more you're going to learn, the easier it's going to be. Um, you know, and you're burning um, in the other styles of cookers, you know, you're, you're predominantly burning uh, your barbecue briquettes, your, your lump charcoal, um, and, you know, all those sort of things are they're very uniform. They're going to burn hot and they're going to burn fast. Um, and they, they're somewhat predictable I find uh, to reach a certain say say the Weber uh, if you're going to do a snake or something and you play around with it you're going to know how many exact briquettes you're going to need for it to burn for X amount of hours at, at whatever temperature you want it to be at you can sort of predict and work that out whereas with your stick burner um, you know you're burning, you're burning logs so it's you're never going to get the same size log, um, you know. They're going to be different lengths. They're going to be different widths. 
um, density, uh, you know, from supply to supply, the, the moisture level in the wood, all these things are factors, um, you know, so it's all there's something to take into consideration when, when building your fire. But, you know, just keep an eye on it. Um, if your temp's coming down, obviously load in some more, some more timber. Uh, if your temp's too hot, you know, close off some of your vents, um, play around for your dampers. Uh, yeah, so. Nah, that's about it for that one, I think. Alrighty, so you just uh, briefly touched on charcoal and briquettes there and the differences in woods. Um, my question was going to be, um, are the log fires in a in an offset more or less efficient than charcoal or briquette fires and why? Um, um, I'm guessing that we that there's not really an answer to that question based on what you just said before. Yeah, look... <laughs> If I had to put something down to efficiency, um, I'm going to stay and I'm going to say you're probably the charcoal and your briquettes is probably going to be more efficient, purely based on the fact that I feel that they're more predictable. You're going to, you know, you're going to be able to tell how much you need to add when you need to add it. If you need to top it up, you're going to know what. But with your, if your logs and your sticks and stuff like that, it's, it's not quite same game i guess i don't know it's a bit depends how you look at it i guess gotcha gotcha i have it on good authority from someone that cooks a lot um on your offsets that from one end of the cooking chamber to the other the difference in temperature was i think he said maybe three degrees celsius now to me that kind of defies logic you know you've got the fire down that end and then you know two meters away you've got the chimney up that end um is that by design or good fire management um how is it possible and and how do you how do you achieve that is that does it come down to the build or does it come down to the management of the smoker um mate both honestly it's for starters um build is one thing because uh the people who i'm sure you would have been talking to will have been using um one of our insulated fireboxes uh, on their on their offsets. Now, insulation fire on a firebox is I could not recommend it more highly. They are just super efficient. Um, and I know you're going to get people saying, "Oh, you don't need insulation when it's cold, or you don't need it in Australia because it's too hot." It's not about how cold it is. It's about how efficient it's going to make your pit. Um, and BSG insulated firebox pits are very efficient. Now, those guys who are, have done these tests, that's that's three degrees from end to end. That's not just by looking at your Teltru gauges on the pit. That's by actually putting four eye-grilled um, probes uh, on four different places. So there's four, four eye-grills, four probes per thing, and they put it in and they put probes through the whole pit because they wanted to know exactly where the hotspots were. They wanted to find out everything. And by playing around with the tuning plates, like we were talking about before, mm-hmm. and by redirecting the heat where they wanted to go, they were able to tune it in that finely up to three degrees from end to end on that pit. Um, so, that, yeah, they just run super efficiently uh, with the insulation. I could, couldn't recommend them more. For perfect example, just, just to put it into perspective, um, like on Josh's trailer as well. Um, I know um, Smoking Up Bros also have an insulated firebox on there, dual axle trailer. Um, 
Paul Cross from up north has an insulator, and they all saying the same things to me. They just can't get over how little wood is required to keep these things at ten. Um, like I was saying, to put it into perspective, to when we go down and do a comp, to do a full ABA sanctioned comp, we would take down two milk crates of iron bar. That's it. That's and it. And we will get a full. Yep, we will get a full a full comp. Um, out of two uh, milk crates of iron bark. I, 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 at rough guess, they're probably using 50 to 60% less wood than um, than standard offset smoker. Interesting. By having an insulated firebox, yes. And that, um, that, that two milk crates of wood, is that on a, like on a 24 inch or a 20 inch or how, how big is the actual smoker itself? Um, you know, it's funny you say that because. Uh, on Josh's pit, uh, that's two inch. That's sorry, that's two milk crates on a twenty-four inch pit with a, I think his is eighteen hundred long um, cook chamber, and the smoking hot rose pit is a thirty inch um, on a twenty-four hundred long cook chamber, and they both run pretty pretty similarly. Similar, sorry. Wow. So yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Well, a question about the insulation itself. Um, yep. How does that actually work? Are you just getting like two bits of six mil steel and putting them back to back, or is there like a is it air insulated? So you got two bits of steel with an air gap in the middle, or have you got fire retardant? So, I've, I've, like, how does it work? I got no idea. <laughs> so without giving your your trade secrets away. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all right. I tell everyone, anyways. Um, okay, so. With the firebox, right, uh, with the insulated fireboxes that we do, we do a 6 mil inner skin, then we do um, 50 mil worth of ceramic um, fireproof uh, blanket, and it's rated up to like 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. So like this stuff, I think if you get on my on my Facebook page, I've got a little video of me holding a matte gas on it for however long, and it's like glowing. But as soon as I take the matte gas off, it just looks normal as if there's nothing ever touched it. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I run a 6 mil inner plate, then I run 50 mil worth of insulation, and then I run a 6 mil outer plate. So all up, just in plate alone, you're having half inch of steel plate. Just a half inch steel plate is going to um, increase your efficiency of, a, of an offset smoker a lot just by having just a plate. By then adding that 50 mil worth of insulation, it makes a world of difference. Um, and that's it. Just goes to show just how efficient our pits are. Um, you know, the proof is in the pudding, I guess. Uh, but the boys at, the, at these comps and just how you, when you think about it, over the space of say ten years or however long you're going to be using a, an offset smoker, if you've got an insulated firebox and you're only using two milk cartons of wood per say I don't know, ABA comp, for example. Just think of how much money you're going to save just in your wood bill alone just through having an insulated smoker. It might be a little bit of a more expensive added option to start with, but ultimately you're going to make your money back quicker than what you'd think, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Mate, that's that's fascinating. I've always, you know, I've, like I've, I've heard of insulated fireboxes, but I was always curious how it actually worked. Thanks for yes. Doing that. No worries, mate. Alrighty, so BSG makes standard flow offsets while many in the industry are raving about reverse flows. Can you explain the difference between the two and why you chose to do standard flow over reverse flow? 
Um, again, like we were talking about earlier, the, the main difference that you know is obviously stacks on the other end. Um, from a standard offset, a standard traditional flow offset, you can have your tuning plates running through the middle. So it's it's a straight through. It's coming through your firebox um, into your cook chamber, across your your meter you've got in there, and then straight out the stack on the other end. So it's just draw straight through. For the reverse flow, you've just got one plate that runs the whole length of the um, of the cook chamber, well, almost the whole length, uh, and then the flow runs from the firebox, runs down underneath that plate. And then wraps back on the top, runs then the length back across the the cook chamber, and then out the stack at the other end. So there's your two differences. Pardon me between the two, um, as far as physical looks is concerned. Um, yeah, so that's that's the physical looks. You know, they both work very differently. They both have their pros and cons. Um, but at the end of the day, I just feel that um, you know the offset cooker. I, you know, having those tuning plates to me is such a big advantage over having your reverse flow. You know, when you've got your reverse flow, you can't really adjust. You can adjust your airflow and you can temperature and whatnot, but you can't change the direction of the flow. It, it is what it is. With the with the tuning plates and all that in the in the offsets, you can move stuff around. You know, you can have a hot spot, a cold spot, like I was saying. Um, and I just think that's such a huge advantage. Um, being a, and like if you've got hotspots or something in your, in your smoker, by having tuning plates or putting tuning plates in there, you know you can you can move things around. You can adjust where those hotspots is going to be to, and use it to your advantage. You know, with a reverse flow, you can't do that. Um, you sort you stuck. <laughs> it is, like I said, it is what it is. So, but yeah, they both have their um their pros and cons, definitely. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. All right. So basically with the reverse flow, what you got is what you got, but with a standard flow, you got more sort of customization available. Yeah, I'm, exactly. Just to, just to bluntly summarize. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If you want to just put it straight out there like that. Yes, definitely. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. We briefly discussed earlier the sizing of smokers. What size should first-time buyers be looking for? Um, look, first-time buyers, and especially the people who haven't really done a lot of um, low and slow style cooking before, they're going to see that the 16-inch offset is going to be something that's really going to stand out to them. Um, with it just being a little bit smaller, obviously the price is obviously um, a lot cheaper as well. Um, but having said that, I would probably recommend people just try and gravitate towards the 20-inch. If you can afford a 20-inch offset, if it's in your budget, go for the 20-inch. Because once you start cooking um, and the barbecue bug gets you, which it will get you, you if you've got a 16, straight away you're going to wish that you had a 20 because you're going to want that extra space. So straight away, I would always sort of recommend of people to to go for the 20-inch for the offset. So. I definitely think that's at a, at a bonus. Like I said, you you really are – you're going to run out of room. You're going to think that 16 inches is going to be enough, um, but you're really going to run out of room quicker than you think. So that's something something to definitely look at at the 20. If, if it's – like I said, if it's in your budget and you can afford it, um, I tend to sort of try and steer people towards that direction. Yeah, 20 inches seems to be the um, 
the minimum size I've seen at competitions too. Yeah, yeah. See, it, it's a good size pit. Like you can fit quite a lot in them. Um, and for getting them to competitions, if you've got a trailer and a couple of mates, you can lift them up into a trailer and uh, get them to these comps and, you know, they're not too big. If you're trying to, pardon me, lump around like a a 24-inch um, or something like that, you know, like I said before, that's when stuff starts getting real heavy, starts getting real big and, you know, start becoming hard to move around. Yeah, you said uh, what three hundred and eighty kilos or something for a three, about three hundred and sixty on a on a BSG twenty inch offset. Yeah, yeah, you that'd be tough to sort of push that up on a on the back of a Ute by yourself. Oh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Okay, so talking about sixteens, um, twenties, and twenty four inch smokers, you did, you talked about um, basically if you buy a sixteen, you're going to run out of room. You're going to want to move into a twenty. How much meat typically fits into these standard sizes? I realize that's a bit of a, you know, how long's a piece of Yeah. Um, well, you know, if you're going to be looking at, say, um, all right, like a black onyx brisket, usually they're sort of going to come in at around about the, between the eight, nine kilo mark, something like that. Now, on a 20 inch offset, you could probably fit two of those very comfortably on the bottom with like a little bit of room around them. Um, but if you're going to run something a little bit smaller, uh, like your Cape Grims or something like that, around about the five or six kilo mark, you could probably fit probably three, um, three along the bottom pretty comfortably. And then, uh, you can probably fit three whole racks of ribs of pork ribs on, on the top rack. Um, or if you wanted to on the bottom, if you had, um, beef ribs, you could probably fit, uh, three bone plate ribs, probably eight to 10 on the bottom rack and maybe about another four or five on the top rack, just depending on how big they are, I guess, and how much space you want to sort of leave in between. But 20 inches, it's a pretty versatile size. You can, if you're cooking at home for the family and friends and stuff like that, you can, you'd be surprised what you can sort of fit fit in them. Mm. Talk about cooking ribs. Where do you stand on the vertical rib racks? Um, so they're standing on end. Yeah, so the, um, the 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 little frame things, so that instead of lying flat across the across the cooking grate, they're going to be sort of standing. Yeah. I um I have built some before, just to as a, a personal thing, just to sort of see how they go. It's a little bit hard with the, with Aussie beef ribs. Um, you, you're going to fit a lot more in if you do it like that. You are. Um, is the difference really going to be too much as opposed to laying them down? Probably not really. Um, but it's it's really just not something that's been real real popular. Um, I think people are more opting for um, like a rib rack that sits above your your cook rack. So essentially giving you two cook racks over the over the one space. I think that's the way that the people are tending to sort of lean. Um, but yeah, they're not too bad, mate. Like. They just don't really sell too often, so I don't make too many of them. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. If a first-time competitor decided to go with an offset, what essential features should they be looking for? I think that, firstly, you want to see what your budget is, um, and then you want to shop around. And in my own personal opinion, I'm – I feel very strongly that just 
by the best quality that you can afford. Um, at the end of the day, if you're buying something that's a good reputable brand, you get, you're not going to have these dramas. It's just going to be a lot smoother cooking for you. Um, and you're going to be a lot more happy with it in the end. Ultimately, if you sort of skint out on buying stuff, you might not be as happy. Ultimately, you're going to get to where you need to go as far as cooking wise is. Uh, you're going to get, you're going to have some sort of smoked meat at the end, but are you going to enjoy the cook as much as say, something that is a good quality brand, good Australian made brand. Like that's, that's the main thing that I can sort of look for. Uh, sorry, that I'd recommend sort of people. So just shop for your budget and yeah, just get the best quality you can. This segment is proudly sponsored by Coastline Barbecues and Heating. With stores in Oxenford, Southport and the Tweed, they are the Gold Coast's only Weber specialist. Okay, Dan, it's time to uh, address our questions from the public. Now, we're doing this at, um, it's currently midday on a Tuesday. So unfortunately, a lot of these people are at work and they couldn't join us live. So I'm going to stand in for them and I'm going to read out the questions and we'll run through your answers. And then at the end, you can choose who's going to win our $25 gift voucher from podcast sponsor Coastline Barbecues and Heating. How does that sound? Sounds good, mate. Awesome. All right, the first question comes from Jared, and he's kind of strung three together. He's, he's, uh, he's hedging his bets here, so we might have to answer, <laughs> might have to answer these one at a time. So that he's uh, put it all together in two. Where did you get the idea of the design of your smokers, and what do you think made your business so successful, and what makes your brand better than the competitors? Um. Okay, so the first part of that question, um, my design. So over the space of when I was doing all the R&D, over the space of a few months when I was um, designing it and whatnot, uh, first thing, for instance, I wanted a, a stainless grill over the firebox. So to do that, I needed a, a square firebox, which I prefer the look of anyway. I think that the square firebox looks a lot, a lot cleaner and a lot tidier. Um, so straight away I can add the stainless box there. As far as like uh, your the handles, um, the intake, shape, size, all that sort of stuff, the counterweight, I went out and bought a an A3 sketch pad and I spent a, like probably a few days, a week or so of just drawing tons and tons of different designs, little sketches of just different shapes, sizes, all this sort of stuff. And then at the end of it, I sort of sat down and picked out probably what my favourite 10 of each of those things were. Um, and then I asked family and friends, I sort of said, oh, look, what, what you think is the best? What's the most appealing? Um, what do you sort of like? And I just sort of took it from there. So sort of picked out what I sort of liked and started piecing it all together. And as far as the, the rest of the the chassis, if you want to call it, for the smoker, it, you know, it all just sort of come together as as I was sort of building it. Like there was not too much um, design, I guess, going into that. It was just the aesthetics of the actual smoker itself. Um, so that was the first part of the question. What was the second part of that question? Sorry. Uh, the second part he's gone on to ask, uh, what do you think made your business so successful? Um. Mate, I guess I take a lot of pride in knowing that the attention, the detail that goes into BSG smokers is it's it's well up there. It's second to none, in my opinion. Um, 
you know, if you put, if you put the the effort into the the small things like that, it, people really notice. They really do notice um, with all that sort of stuff. So I think that was a massive factor. Um, not only that, but they work well. All of my stuff works really good. Um, so I think that that was a, a massive factor as as far as being successful um, with ESG smokers. Yeah. Awesome. And the last one, um, without uh, risking getting me into trouble for slander, um, he's asked, what makes your brand better than competitors? Um, what makes my brand better? I suppose I'd have to nearly just go back to like what I was saying in that last bit there, just the attention to detail in the BSG pits and um, the R&D that's going in to make sure that the flow um, and everything is is where it needs to be. A lot of people sort of think, oh, I can slap a, a square firebox or slap a bit of tube on the end of a <laughs> on the end of a, a um, cook chamber and we'll put a stack here. There's, there's a lot of a lot of research that goes into placement of things, the size of things. Like there's a lot of math involved in um, in knowing flow rates and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's where and why my products will probably be well up there with the best of them. Awesome. All right. Talking of uh, people having a crack at making their own, that leads us nicely into Matthew's question. Uh, he wants to ask a question from all hopeful pit builders. How many man hours can I expect to put into making a pit and how do I figure <laughs> out and well, here's the, here's the doozy. How do I figure out the thermo, bleh, I can't even say it. How do I figure and out the thermodynamic principles for firebox and chamber specs? Okay. Um, uh, look, honestly, how long's a piece of string? That's, it's a bit of a hard one. I guess it all comes down to, like I said, how much attention to detail do you want to put into your own stuff at home? You know, do you, do you want to have those hidden worlds? Do you want to have like nice seamless, um, lines and stuff in the pits? I guess it comes down to how much time you want to put into it, I guess. Um, and like, I guess as well, your skill set. Um, are you a good welder? Are you handy with a grinder? I guess, uh, you know, if you are, you know, it's going to bring your time down again. As a ballpark figure, I don't know. It's hard to say. I'd probably say anywhere between 50 to 150 hours maybe just for the average Joe at home to sort of make that pit. So I suppose that would be if you were working on it every day for eight hours, uh, I don't know, a week. But if you're working on it every day for eight hours, three weeks, you know, 50 to 150 hours, it's, it's hard to say. Sure, sure. And the second part of his question is thermodynamic principles. Ah, yes. Um, without going into too much detail on how I've come up with my own calculations and stuff like that, um, I think a, a, an okay place to sort of start would be if you just Google online the Feldman's calculator. Um, that's, you can put in the, the size of your firebox, the length, the width, the depth. Um, and there's, someone's made up this calculator and it's, and it'll, it'll give you these calculations of exactly how big everything needs to be. Um, I'd probably direct them in, in that direction, uh, to jump online and sort of have a look at that. 
um, that's probably going to be the, the best option for people that are making their own pits at home. Feldman's calculator. Feldman's calculator, yeah. Feldman's, okay, cool. All right, I'll, I'll make a note of that. Uh, Andrew has got a question, which I think is going to be very interesting. When will we be seeing a whole hog pit come out? Mate, I would love to make a whole hog pit. I've had one designed for a long time now. Um, I've got all my sketches there. I've got all the CAD drawings and everything done. It's just at the moment I just don't have time to set aside to sort of build to build one. Um, if someone come up and specifically asked me to build one, it would be awesome because then I'd be able to lock in a build date and I could start at X date. Um, but right now I've just got so much on, I just don't have time to do it. But it's definitely something that I want to do. So if there's anyone out there that wants a whole hog cooker, <laughs> please come hit me up because I want to build one. I think that that's going to be a an, an increased demand starting this year now that it's a category. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. Hey, um, with the ABA, a lot of events, well, a few events next year uh, with the whole hog category. And I think it's awesome. I can't wait to sort of start seeing that sort of stuff. Um, so it's, it's a new it's a new avenue for people and a new style of cooking. So I think it's going to be pretty exciting and, uh, yeah, I'd love to build one. Awesome. All right, Sally wants to know, she says, I get that smokers are made for low and slow, but how hot can your smokers get? Could I do pizzas in one of your offsets? Um. The quick answer, no. Purely because, look, you can get these, you can get these, these pizzas, sorry. You can get these offsets pretty cranked up. Like you can get them pretty hot. You know, I've sort of gone up, upwards of 200. Um, if you just keep feeding charcoal in there or you just keep feeding timber in there, they're going to get hot. Not that I would recommend that though. Like getting up around that two, those, the 200 mark is just, you don't need to do it. Um, and if you do start getting up, then you could start to cause uh, damage to your pit, which nobody wants. You can, you can put a pizza in an offset smoker and you can cook a pizza, but if you're looking for that uh, traditional uh, wood-fired pizza oven finish on your pizza, you're not going to get it. It just, you, it, it just can't be done in the offsets. Um, yeah. And just to clarify, you, you were, of course, talking Celsius before. Ah, yes, yes, Celsius. Bit of a throwback to when we were talking about switching between metric and imperial. Yeah, I know. It's um, <laughs> I've been <laughs> I've been trying to because everyone works in Fahrenheit, and, um, which is okay with me. I'm I'm fine with that, but I'm trying to. I'd like to see Celsius um, be the predominant um, cooking format. In Australia would be good. Does that mean that we'll start uh, seeing your pits being sold in centimeters? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. But, um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Fair enough. All right, moving on to Sean's question. Sean says, "I've noticed in some pics of a few of your trailers that the chamber is on the opposite side to most trailer-mounted smokers. Why is that?" Mate, that's a good question. Um, BSG trailer pits are built for Australian roads, not American roads, for starters. We drive on the left-hand side of the road, not on the right-hand side. The camber of Australian roads um, goes to the left, so for water runoff and safety reasons. Um, so straight away, it just made sense to me to build um, pits. People have been calling them left-handed pits, and I suppose if you want to call it left-handed, I guess you can, but uh, 
I just think I feel that it's safer if it is on that side. Like you notice a massive difference, um, like even driving around roundabouts and stuff like that, uh, huge difference. Um, I'm not saying that other trailers aren't safe because they're not on that side and I'm not saying um, that they're wrong or anything like that. And people will disagree with me on this theory, um, but that's just how we do it at PSG. Interesting that that's how far uh, or how deep you've gone with your R&D that you've actually reached oh, mate, it's, the, the, yeah. the roads in Australia that we drive on. A lot of people don't think about it because people are just, um, I suppose, I don't want to say copying Americans, but um, that's just how a lot of people see them on, on the on the passenger's side because they drive on that side on that in America. So I guess it's just sort of flowed down this way as well. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's why we do it and we'll continue to do that. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Very intriguing. All right, so just to recap before you uh, announce the winner of our gift voucher, we had Jared with his triple bunger question. Uh, we had <laughs> you, Matthew with his man hours and thermodynamic principles. Hey, I got it right. <laughs> there you go. Andrew with his whole hog pit, Sally with her pizzas, and Sean with the trailers. Who would you like to award the $25 Coastline Barbecues gift voucher to? Mate, I would like the gift voucher to go to Sean, was it? The question about the trailers? That's right. Yes, I would like it to go to him. That was a, a good question. Um, like I said, a lot of people have been sort of asking me, asking me why I've gone that way, um, and now everyone knows. So, good one. Awesome. Congratulations, Sean. Um, unfortunately, you're not here with us live right now, but I will get that out to you very shortly. Okie dokie, Dan. Thanks for all your time today. For the final question before I let you go, what would be your top three pieces of advice for new teams? Um, top three pieces of advice. Number one would be, like I said earlier, um, buy the best stuff that you can sort of afford. Um, straight away, like I said, you're going to avoid a lot of hiccups um, and you're just going to have a lot more pleasant uh, cook. You really will. Uh, number two, um, practice, practice, practice. You really got. If you want to be really good on the Australian barbecue circuit, you've got to practice. Um, I know a lot of blokes sort of do it on the weekends and stuff like that, um, or every now and again, which is awesome. This is how I started. Um, but you'll find that these guys that are winning and taking out these comps in the sort of the top 10, they're always cooking. They're always practicing. They're always honing their skills. So, yeah, I can't stress more. The more you practice, the better you're going to get. Um, and number three, um, I guess would be cook to temp, not time. Um, a lot of people reading the books and stuff like that, it takes six hours. If you've hit the six-hour mark and you're feeling it and it's still obviously not feeling ready, it's not ready. So you go get yourself a um, good thermometer um, and, yeah, cook to temp, not time. Be my three words of advice for the upcoming pitmaster. Very wise advice. Thank you very much for that. Okay, I'm going to throw the mic over to you for a couple of minutes now. 
Uh, feel free to give some shout outs to anyone that you'd like to and make sure you tell everybody where they can track you down on the interwebs. No worries, mate. Firstly, um, thanks very much for having us on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast. It's awesome. Um, and yeah, BSG Smokers, um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram as BSG Smokers or the website www.bsgsmokers.com.au. Um, yeah, we do all different sorts of cookers, um, and not just smokers. We sort of wild barbecue as far as, um, asado, um, and, and that sort of live fire cooking as well. Um, again, so, a uh, bit of a shout out to the sponsors teams, the Mile Hub Porkers and, uh, Smoking Up Bros as well. Um, really, really proud and happy of how they've gone this year. Um, 2017 is going to be a really big year for barbecue and I can't wait. Me neither, mate. Me neither. I was talking to Adam the other day. He's tipping. Uh, he, he's already got 25 on the calendar. He's tipping 30 to 35 by the end of the year. See, that's awesome. That's really, really cool. It is. Really looking forward to it. Yeah. If you're in competition so, barbecue, you could be out every other weekend. <laughs> That's exactly right. I think um, you're really going to start to see some really stiff competition um, start to come up as well, um, which would be great. It will be for sure. All right, mate. Thanks very much again for having me on and I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Champion. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>